Now, most of you who know me know that I was not raised in the church, didn't come from a Christian family. I was 28 years old before I came to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and after that, obviously became part of a church. So when Jim talks about the subject of Lent, um, when I started going to church, I was like, what are they talking about? The only Lent I knew was from the dryer, from drying your clothes. This isn't a joke, seriously. So I don't think Jim is writing about washing and drying your clothes. So I encourage you to get that devotion and read that. I'm sure it will be a blessing. When we think about things in life that have happened or didn't happen, or we think about things that are happening or not happening, or we think about things that we want to happen or we don't want to happen, whether it's something from the past or something in the present or something that might happen in the future, we can be so easily tempted to let our hearts be troubled. For some time now through the Gospel of John, Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's going away and that his disciples cannot follow him to where he is going. The one they've been following, the one they have left everything and everyone for, the one who is their hope is going to leave them. Jesus knew in John chapter 14 verse 1, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, that the disciples' hearts were troubled because he was going to leave them. So what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus told them who he is and he gave them many promises to encourage them and to give them hope in the midst of him going to leave them. He said the following, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. He said, I will come again for you. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. In other words, Jesus was telling his disciples that he is God. And since Jesus is God, he was indicating to them that he cannot lie. He does not make mistakes. His plan is always for his glory and for our greatest good. He's always faithful to his promises and he never, ever changes. He's our constant hope both now and forever, whether he's physically present with us or not. Jesus is telling them to focus not on his not being with them, but to focus on trusting and obeying God and loving God with their entire being and loving their neighbor. Jesus also promised, as we saw last week, that they would receive the gift, the wonderful gift, of the Holy Spirit, who would be sent to them to be with them forever and who would teach them and remind them of everything that Jesus has said. In our text today, Jesus gives his disciples and us hope for a troubled heart. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Starting in verse 27, we read, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You may be seated. So Jesus says here in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So back in verse 1 of chapter 14, which we looked at two weeks ago, Jesus told his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. They were troubled because Jesus was going to leave them. And they were probably thinking things like, what are we going to do without him? Have we left everything? Have we done all the things we've been doing for nothing? Is he not going to set us free from Roman rule? In verse 27, Jesus says again to them, as he did in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. And yet he adds here, neither let them be afraid. A fearful heart is a troubled heart. They were fearing what things were going to be like without Jesus. So Jesus counsels them here in verse 27, not only for their present troubled heart, but also for what is going to take place later on. If we are wise, us today, if we are wise, we will be training ourselves to trust in specific truths about who God is and His promises for what has happened in the past, what is happening in the present, and what, for what will happen in the future. A troubled heart is not a peaceful heart. A troubled heart is not at rest And it is the result of not doing what Jesus commanded his disciples to do, which is to trust in him. Jesus told them, I'm going away. And their hearts are troubled. They are troubled because they're not trusting in who Jesus is, specifically his attributes and his specific promises that he gave them to fit their situation. They do not have peace here in verse 27, and Jesus knows it. So he tells them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now, what does that mean and how does that happen? Is Jesus giving them peace in the sense that it's a material object and he gives it to them as a gift that they will unwrap? Well, obviously, no. Does it mean that Jesus is going to lay his hands on them and they will have constant peace forever? No. Peace is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Jesus has just told them, which we heard in the sermon last week, that they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said they would not be left as orphans as he goes away. So that's why he can say here in verse 27, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you because part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace and they will have the Holy Spirit. Those of us 
who have given our lives to Christ. We've trusted that Jesus' death on the cross has paid for our sins in full and that he was raised from the dead. And we have the hope of eternal life. If that fits you, you have eternal peace with God. You have been, past tense, you have been reconciled to God. And the disciples, regardless of their circumstances, and us today who are in Christ, regardless of our circumstances, we can have the peace of God. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's giving them peace in the sense that as they trust in who Jesus is and in his promises and thus are filled with the Holy Spirit, they will have his peace. Jesus is God. God is our peace. And as we trust in him, we will have peace. And oh, what a glorious and soul-satisfying peace it is. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It is total inner well-being. It is a soul at rest in beautiful, intimate fellowship with God. Most of us have sung these words before. All is well with my soul. All is well, all is well with my soul. Now, it's one thing to sing those words. It's quite another to actually trust God and live in the peace that he promises to those who trust in him. Now, if you're wondering why I did not sing all is well as Pastor Nate Meese would have, just be thankful I didn't. And trust me on this, you can ask my family. I cannot sing. I can jam on the guitar, but I cannot sing. I would ruin your piece. Matter of fact, there should probably be a law against my singing in public. Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 27 that the peace he gives is not as the world gives. Jesus does not give artificial, lacking temporary and non-soul satisfying peace that's the kind of peace the world gives you the peace the world tells you that the world offers you peace and people and places and things and it's always wanting it never truly satisfies a couple of years ago i was some was with some of my old drinking buddies who i still dearly love and one of them asked me in a nice way a kind way he wasn't being a jerk he just said, Tony, don't you get a hankering to, to drink anymore? In other words, to go into buzz land. And I just looked at him very lovingly and very gently and very respectfully. And I just said, you know, after you've tasted the real thing, meaning the goodness of God, you don't want the artificial thing any longer. The world tries to find peace in everything from a peace pipe to politics, to nature, to food, to alcohol, to hobbies, work, vacations, trying to control our circumstances, and the list goes on and on and on. And what does all of this lead to? It leads to even more troubled heart, looking for peace and yet never, ever, ever finding it and becoming more and more troubled. It could lead to anger, to anxiety, to depression, 
and the list goes on and on and on. The world, our flesh, and the devil, and all of their lies can never bring true peace. Peace only comes when we trust in who God is and in his promises. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 15.13 says, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here, once again, we see the connection between trust in God, the Holy Spirit, and peace. God, who cannot lie, says that we will be filled with all joy and peace when? When we trust in Him. Now, when the Bible says in John 14, Romans 15, in a multitude of other places to trust in God, it is not referring to a general or generic trust in God. We need to trust some specific things about God in our sin struggles, such as Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is more than enough. He is our joy. He is our delight. He is our pleasure or other specific things about Him. The solution for a troubled heart in our sufferings and in our trials is not a general, generic trust in God. We need to trust specific things about God in our trials and sufferings, such as God is always in control, and He's always good, and He's always all-wise. And our greatest good is not for our trials and suffering to go away. Our greatest good is to become more like Jesus Christ through them. Or, nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Or another specific truth about God. Or a promise from God. Or something about the gospel that fits our situation. Jesus gave the disciples specific truths about himself and specific promises that fit their situation. Not only for their present, but also for the future. To be preventative. When our hearts are troubled, we need to trust specific attributes of God, specific promises from God, or specific things about the gospel that fit our specific situation. And as we trust God in these ways, we will have the peace that Jesus gives. We will have His peace. And even more important than having peace, we will glorify God as we trust in Him. Our goal in life is not to feel good or just to have peace. Our goal in life is to glorify God, but the great byproduct of doing that and trusting God is we have peace. And it is a soul-satisfying peace. Well, Jesus ended verse 27 with, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let us not skip over a very, very important three-letter word that is used twice in verse 27. That word is, let. We are responsible for a troubled heart. Jesus is teaching us that if our heart is troubled, it is because we let it be troubled. And as we all know so well, life can be gut-wrenching at times. Gut-wrenching. Extremely difficult. 
Yet if we trust God in those times, we can still have the peace that he promises. Jesus said, in this world, this is a promise. He said, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Let us trust God and not let our hearts be troubled. And he is most worthy of our trust. Christ died on the cross for us. He's good. We can trust him. Those of us in Christ have trusted Jesus with our eternal state. We can trust him in the here and now. Now, just in case your mind may be going in the following directions, when Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled, he was not saying we should never grieve. Jesus wept. He cried in John chapter 11. Yet even in our grieving, the Bible says we can grieve with hope. And when we grieve with hope, we can have peace even in our grieving. Jesus was also troubled in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet it was not the result of not trusting God. He was rightly troubled because he was going to take upon himself the wrath of God that our sins deserved. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, who lived a perfect life, to be sin for us. In other words, to die for our sins. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In addition, the Apostle Paul had godly concern for the churches, yet it was not the result of a sinfully troubled and fearful heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in case you don't know, we have a a biblical counseling ministry here, a soul care ministry, intensive discipleship, whatever you want to call it. We can help with with troubled hearts. Um, God created us. He's given us his word, which has all the answers for our sin struggles and for our trials in life. And those who come for help with right motives, with genuine godly sorrow and do the work, they become more like Christ for the glory of God. If your heart is troubled, there's help here and it's free. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 28 with more truths about who he is and more promises for very troubled hearts. Look at verse 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Here Jesus reminds the disciples once again that though he is going away, he will come to them. And he's promised them the Holy Spirit. And one day he will return visibly and gloriously. Trusting in these promises and many other promises in the Bible is the solution for a troubled heart. And when Jesus returns, all sin will be done away with. All fear except a proper fear of God will be done away with. All trials, all persecutions, all sufferings will be done away with. All troubled hearts except those in hell will be done away with. And until Jesus returns, if we trust God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will have peace regardless of our circumstances. I have a very dear friend that I've known since middle school. And his name is Andy. 
And Andy's been told by the doctors that he doesn't have much longer to live. He can barely talk. Many things he can't do that we do every day, that we take for granted. And yet, Andy's a brother in Christ. And because he's trusting in who God is and in God's promises, he has a peace and a joy about him that surpasses all understanding. And he's such a light right now to those who do not know Christ. And he's been emboldened to share the gospel and communicate to people that we can't talk, whether it's through text or however he does it. But it's an amazing thing. It's a great encouragement to me to see his faith in difficult situations and to see a peace and joy that the world just can't understand. And Andy, if you're watching, I love you, brother. In verse 28, we see a loving and gentle rebuke from Jesus. Jesus said, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I'm going to the Father. Instead of rejoicing for Jesus, the disciples were letting their hearts be troubled. Instead of being Jesus-focused, they were self-focused. If we're honest, we know how tempting and how easy it can be to have a troubled heart. When we're not trusting in God, we are not loving God with our entire heart at those times. When we're not trusting God, we are not as First Thessalonians commands us to do. We're not rejoicing always. We're not praying without ceasing. And we're not giving thanks in all circumstances. When we're not trusting God, we are not as James tells us. Counting it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Jesus tells the disciples they should be rejoicing that he's going to the Father. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the work that he came to do, it will be completely finished and he will ascend to the right hand of the Father. The disciples were self and situational focused rather than being Jesus focused. And so they had a troubled heart. It wasn't that they didn't love Jesus. But when they weren't trusting in him, they were not fully loving him. Those of us in Christ love Jesus. He suffered and died on the cross for our sins. But the times we're not trusting in him, we're not truly loving him. We all struggle with trusting in God. Yet we can grow more and more and more in trusting him. But to do so, we've got to train ourselves each day. This doesn't happen by osmosis. The Apostle Paul fought the good fight of faith by trusting God daily, and so must we. Jesus ends verse 28 with something that is quite difficult to understand. He says there, For the Father is greater than I. Now if Jesus were just a man, that would be not, not be hard at all to understand. But Jesus is not just a man. Jesus is both God and man. The Bible clearly teaches there is one God who exists in three co-eternal and co-equal persons. And those three persons are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we know for certain that verse 28 cannot be saying that Jesus in his deity, in his divinity, is lesser than God the Father. That would be heresy. 
John chapter 17 can help us understand verse 28. Jesus says in John 17, speaking to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus told the disciples they should rejoice that he's going to the Father. And why should they rejoice? He's going to return to the glory that he had with the Father before he, Jesus, created the world. His life, death, resurrection, ascension, and future coming in glory are all part of God's wonderful plan to redeem all things. On earth, in what is called Jesus' state of humiliation, which refers to his humanity, not to his deity, Jesus experienced being tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He lived in a sin-cursed world. He experienced the brutality of people beating him and crucifying him on a cross. And he was buried in a tomb. After accomplishing his work, through his dying on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus ascended back to the glory that he had with the Father. God the Father did not enter the state of humiliation as God the Son did. And in that sense, in his role on earth, Jesus can say, the Father is greater than I. But make no mistake about it. Jesus will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And even right now, he sits in equal glory with the Father. Moving on to verse 29, Jesus tells us why wise people train themselves with truth for the present and also the future. Look at verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe Jesus has told his disciples over and over and over who he is, and he's given them his promises over and over and over. And he says here, I've told you. And why has he told them? So they will trust in who he is and trust in his promises and thus not have a troubled heart and thus not be paralyzed from doing everything he's commanded them to do. They are to trust Jesus for the glory of God and do all that he's commanded them to do, and they're to keep doing all that he's commanded them to do through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension. And those of us in Christ today, some 2,000 years later, after his death, resurrection, and ascension, we are to trust God concerning our past, concerning our present, and concerning the future. Jesus has told us who he is, And he's given us his promises so that we will not let our hearts be troubled. So that we will love God with our entire being. So that we will love our neighbor. And so that we will not fear anything. And that we will not fear no one but God. May we not let ourselves be paralyzed with a troubled heart. Let us be preventative. Let us start today training ourselves to trust specific truths about God and specific promises from Him. Let us thank and praise God every day for who He is and for His promises and for the gospel. Let us hide specific truths in our hearts so that when temptation comes, we will trust Him rather than having a troubled heart. The psalmist wrote, 
I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In verses 30 through 31, Jesus tells his disciples what is going to happen. He reminds them of who he is and what he's going to do. And he tells them what they must do. Look at verses 30 and 31. I will no longer talk with you much, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then Jesus told them, rise, let us go from here. In verse 30, Jesus tells the disciples he will not talk with them much longer. Why? Because the time is near for his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus said the ruler of this world is coming. Well, here Jesus is referring to Satan, the ruler of this world. And he's referring to Satan and the work that Satan will do in Judas, which will lead to Jesus's death. This should remind us of Genesis 3.15, where we're told that Satan will strike the heel of the Messiah. Yet Jesus went on to say here in verses 30 and 31, that even though the ruler of this world is coming, he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. This should remind us of the other part of Genesis 3.15. There it says that the Messiah will crush Satan's head. Jesus being betrayed by Judas, his arrest, his suffering, his death on the cross will in no way defeat Jesus. It means victory for Jesus, for his disciples and for us. This is why the disciples should be rejoicing that Jesus is going back to the Father. Jesus will triumph over death through his resurrection and he will ascend in glory to the glory that he had with the Father. And one day, Jesus will return. Not to mention that God is sovereign and all-powerful and Satan is not. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. Satan has no claim on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. He was a perfect sacrifice and he was raised from the dead. And you know what? If you're in Christ, Satan has no claim on you. Why? Because if you're in Christ, all of your sins have been forgiven and God has credited Jesus' perfect life to your account. And if you're in Christ, God sees you in his sight as absolutely perfect. Satan has no claim on you. What God has allowed Satan to do in striking the heel of Jesus and what Jesus has done in crushing Satan's head will lead to a great victory celebration. And one day when Jesus comes back, we and Jesus' disciples with our King Jesus will celebrate an even greater victory celebration. This is why the disciples should have been rejoicing rather than having troubled hearts. And this is why we should be rejoicing rather than having troubled hearts. Well, after Jesus said these things in verse 30, knowing what was going to happen, he said in verse 31, rise, let us go from here. Jesus is on a mission and he's not going to let troubled hearts stop that mission. Jesus wanted the disciples to rise from their troubled hearts through trusting in who he is and in his promises. 
He wanted them to rejoice that He's going to the Father. He wanted them to stick to the mission that He has and is going to give them, which is evangelism and discipleship. Jesus wants us to rise from our troubled hearts through trusting in Him and His promises and what He's done through the gospel and what He will do when He comes back. Jesus has given us the very same mission He gave His disciples, which is to go, to share the gospel, and to disciple those who come to know Christ. He wants us to rise in trust and obedience to everything He's commanded us to do, even in times when it would be so easy and so tempting to have a troubled heart. Let's not have troubled hearts even in our trials, even in our sufferings, even in persecution. Let's not let anything get in the way of our mission. Let's rejoice that Jesus has gone back to the Father. Let's rejoice that He has sent to those of us in Christ His Holy Spirit. And let's rejoice that Jesus is coming back. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, We're so blessed to have your word. Thank you. We don't deserve that you gave us your word. Thank you for revealing to us who you are. Thank you for giving us the promises you have given us. Thank you for the gospel that we might find hope in you. And Lord, that even in extremely difficult times, that we would trust in you knowing that you're good, Lord, and that we could have the peace that Jesus gives that the world cannot even compare to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.